Welcome to the CARE Celebration. I am your host, Adania Reyes. Welcome to a place of acceptance, love, and to celebrate CARE in many ways, in many shapes, in many forms. We are so excited tonight because we have Rainbow Model with us in our very first program from Woo! the UK. Number one! <laughs> yeah. Opening the CARE Celebration is the amazing one of the first gender-free models featured in Vogue magazine and BuzzFeed and El Gratier and a wonderful human being which I, have, which I have the honor to be friends with. I love you very much, Rain. You are an amazing human being and what you do is just mind-blowing. I'm really, really happy to have you here. Let's welcome Rindo! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I'm really happy to be here, Adanya. Thank you so much for having me. And um, you're absolutely an incredible person and very inspiring as well. That's why I'm up here in London at midnight on this amazing podcast show with you because I really, really believe in what you are about to bring to the world. Thank you so much. All right, so just so you know, the format of this podcast is mostly like a conversation. This is our very first podcast, and well, I said podcast because it's going to be turning to a podcast, and you can hear it on Pocket Cast, Spotify, uh, Apple Cast, Google Cast, um, and you can hear it in a bunch of them just by clicking on the link of Anchor FM, or you can just look on whatever. Um, casting service you're using, just look for the care celebration and you will be able to find it. So I will be making Ray some questions and we will be chatting for a little bit. Again, I am so thankful that everyone is here. If you feel like donating, I'm going to put a link to the uh, donation and you will have some chance to ask Ray some questions as well. So Ray, I would love to hear from you a brief introduction of who you are and what you do. Okay. Um, well, my name is Rain Dove, Rain Link from the Sky, Dove Like the Bird. My identity is that I am I, so I don't identify as male or female. I identify as everything and nothing. And um, you can call me he, she, it, one, they, it doesn't matter. All I listen for is respect and positive intention. But if you want to be the most respectful, you will just call me by the name in which I've called myself. And let all pronouns be out the door, including they and them. Um, what I do, well, I do a lot of different things. Um, first of all, I exist, which is enough, by the way. Uh, it's enough for anyone, really. <laughs> um, but also, um, I'm known as a model, I think, um, primarily known as a model in this industry. Um, I also am an activist, and I especially work on helping people acquire food, shelter, water, physical safety, and freedom of movement. I especially work really hard to help people break borders by being able to get into, um, be able to access parts of the world that are cut off from them. And um, yeah, I just try to be the best being that I can be, and <laughs> I'm constantly yeah. learning what that means. Exactly. Thank you so much. I I was. I remember when I first came across your page, I was so taken aback by your views on having shelter, water, and freedom of movement. That is something that you don't hear a lot of people talking about. And with all the homeless homelessness crisis and water crisis that is soon to come, I think it's something that we should be able to address. I love the comment that Dorian Mistavance makes queer magic happen, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I have another question for you, Rain. What are you looking to achieve as an activist? Like, what would be the major thing that you'd say, I am satisfied with this? Mm. The hard thing is, is that I feel like there's a lot in this world that needs to shift. Because while we may be able to plug one hole, there are many holes in this sinking ship. At the same time, I think that sometimes struggle is, while it's not necessary, it gives us a pride in our life that we have something to fight for and against. Um, 
when I think about what I want to achieve as an activist, I, I have to really think about the ego of that. Like, I alone cannot. I mean, I alone might be able to solve world hunger, but, you know, I doubt it. It will probably take a lot of different voices. Idealistically, if I could achieve one thing um, in my life, it would be that other people realize that they could be the same as myself in the sense that they could wake up and realize that things are possible. I think that a lot of times the reason why people don't do things in their life, they don't take steps to try to create changes, is because they're so exhausted by the fact or the idea that their one movement won't really make a difference, or they feel that it's just not possible. And I wish people felt as possible as I feel. And maybe that's a little narcissistic, but I do feel like I have obstacles in my life. Sometimes money obstacles, sometimes just like in general, you know, whatever's going on, fluff and drama, obstacles in my life. But every day I do wake up and feel like things are possible. Mm -hmm. That our ability to have food, shelter, water, and physical safety, I believe that is an achievable thing. And it's not a utopic ideology. And should it be utopic, I'm okay with that, you know. Yes, I absolutely love the fact that you encourage people to take space. And that is one of the reasons why I decided to start this little series of Instagram lives and podcasts because of you, because of how you, how you ask people for a movement to become a movement and to become activists just because of their existence. I think that's wonderful. And I remember um, in one of your classes, you did um, your, you, you read a letter that you sent to your mom. And this is a little bit more personal, so I hope you're okay talking about yeah, it. Yeah, of course. And um, in this letter, it really hit me because I felt the same way when I was, uh, well, I feel the same way now. But I was a really troubled teenager, and right. and I had a really hard time existing, like a lot of people nowadays, you know. And could you tell us a little bit about this letter that you wrote to your to your mom, and how you are able to overcome hard things in in, in life? Yeah, it's a big question, but yes, I'm here for it. Um, yeah, so I read an email out to class um, one time in which when I was in my uh, early 20s or late teens, I was homeless and I was a runaway LGBTQ member and life hadn't panned out the way I thought it did. And I was scared that I had chosen wrong by not conforming to what my family and society really wanted for me at the time. And I also hadn't seen the perspective of my parent, that she was young and that she was scared and that she was also just trying to conform to what she believed her family wanted from her. That though I was the child of my mother, my mother was the child of her mother and so on and so forth. And so um, I didn't see it from her perspective. So this, this letter I wrote her was one in which I really guilt guilt tripped my mother. Instead of telling her what I needed from her, I told her I'd be fine, but then I essentially just guilt tripped her with lots of things like, I guess God hates me, I'm hungry, I'm tired. I was actually crying out for help, but at the time I thought I was making a point, <laughs> but I was actually psychologically kind of torturing my mother. I didn't even know it. Um, at the time, um, I, I, I don't know, yeah, I was just really not in a good space in my life. I was alone and hungry, and, you know, when you're under a certain age, under the age of 25, you need somebody to co-sign on, on an apartment for you because you don't have any credit. And um, I felt like my mother loved everything about me except for the thing that I wanted to love, which was someone who might potentially share the same gender or sex as myself, um, by societal standards. And uh, it took a lot of hitting rock bottom to realize that 
my mother's journey, although we started a journey tied together because I came out of my mother's body um, physically, <laughs> our journeys are not necessarily obligated to each other and that my parent was on their own journey and that my journey was not to be validated by my parents journey it was when i finally became so alone and hit a rock bottom that was so deep and so dark that i realized that i needed to survive just one important obstacle which was myself that I would be the biggest obstacle I would face in my life. My mental health, the way that I perceived myself in relationship to others, the way that I had bonded myself to others as a prisoner, a prisoner to their thoughts of me, their validation of me. And it's when I freed myself from other people that I freed myself from myself. And so every day I wake up and like I said, I feel very confident that things are possible. And I do question things in the world, but I don't question myself. I don't question, I question sometimes what I do. I'm like, why did I do that? <laughs> but I don't question who I am. Only sometimes how I am. That is and very I think deep. That's just basic, right? That's the basic thing that we want in life, that basic comfort. Um, and that's like how I find strength in the world is I know that I'm on a journey but it is my journey alone, not to be determined by any other being. I love how, how much you talk about self-awareness in such a way. And, you know, your journey is so beautiful. I, I don't know how many of us have been in the same situation, but it's a lot harder to be, become self-aware and, and realize that we have to stop second-guessing ourselves and just live the best way we can, you know? Mm. It gives us the confidence to have the confidence of doing that. It's, it's, it takes a long time and it's really hard. I and think you're fantastic at, at that as a healer, by the way. Um, you're you. really good. I think one of the things I love about you the most is I feel very safe um, being just still with you. You're very good you. at just allowing people to be. I think there's a huge pressure online to be a perfect rendition of ourselves because any false move could undo everything that we've ever worked for in our lives. And I think one of the things that you give people a really safe space to land. So I'm very happy that you're doing something like this. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I enjoy being still. <laughs> I enjoy uh, the Zen aspect of life. A lot. <laughs> what What is the hardest thing ha you have to overcome, Ray? Oh my God! I'm sure you have so many stories. Your life has been the hardest hard. thing I've ever had to overcome so far. Or you feel like it's been the hardest? Wow. I have two moments in life in which I think were the hardest to overcome. The first was when I was transient and I was like staying in people's backyards and I just kind of lost track of time because my only purpose was to live to the next day. I didn't have a cause or a reason. I didn't really even have an identity. And it wasn't until I literally woke up getting soaked by sprinklers in a, on the lawn of a house that had been foreclosed sleeping there illegally. I went to a Starbucks to wait for it to open so I could get warm. And it was like 5 a.m. in the morning, I was freezing cold. And it, it was in that moment, I just remember, and I told you the story, like I just stood there in that freezing cold moment when the world was just really beginning to wake up and I realized no one was coming. No one was coming to rescue me. No one was coming to help. And I realized that all this time that had passed by in this stillness, it, it was just me waiting for someone to say, you, you, you're not supposed to be here. You, you're not supposed to be on the street. You, you're not supposed to be homeless. And when I realized that no one was coming, I had to make a choice in that moment to stay still and to continue doing the thing I had been doing, which is waiting and nothingness. Or to get 
moving, to pivot, to shift. And I chose to shift in that moment, and it saved my life. I think that the second hardest thing I've ever had to overcome is after being transient for so long and having really been in a place in which my I, I lost my belongings all the time because the police like raided your stuff or took your stuff. It, it was gone overnight. My car got towed and all that stuff. And people really only were in my life for temporary periods of time until they found out that I was transient or whatnot. And they would feel very awkward about it or I was just sporadic and I always missed out on it. Like I would tell somebody I'd be there on time and I was actually like two hours late and I was just a mess. I was used to people being discardable. And I was used to being unloved. And when I came to a place in my life where I finally achieved what society would deem to be success, and I finally got some kind of exposure in my career, I um, didn't know how to date people. I didn't know how to be loved. I thought it was just one big joke that people only wanted me because I was visible or people only wanted me for a moment. So I wasn't always great to um, partners. I didn't try to be toxic, but I was always trying to have one foot out the door because I was ready for them to close the door on me at any second, and I didn't want to be homeless or caught in the in-between. So um, my first like couple of partners, I, I cheated on them, and I wasn't, I, I wasn't communicating how I actually felt, and I had some people I dated, and I wasn't even in love with them, but they asked if I wanted to go on a date with them, and I just felt like love is a resource, and if someone gives it to you, you need to hold on to it. And so I wouldn't turn people down. I would let people break up with me instead of breaking up with them because I felt always not not very good about breaking, like leaving love as a resource at the door. And I think one of the most difficult obstacles to get over in my life, actually, was the realization that despite my deep understanding of how scary it is to not have people be honest with you or how scary it is to be alone, um, I had become the villain in my own story. Um, I had become the self-fulfilling prophecy. And the ego that I had to like face in that person in the mirror and say, whoa, this is everything I thought I wouldn't be and I should know better. That that was very difficult to to overcome and to say, I deserve love. I do deserve to be with someone I do love. And that just because someone loves you or expresses that they like you doesn't mean that you have to reciprocate to the same level or intensity. Um, but it is something that I'm really glad that I was able to take head on, you know. Yeah, especially head on, because a lot of people would tend to avoid it or a lot of people <laughs> tend to avoid it. And, you know, I really resonate with your first story. I remember um, many years ago I was in a poor mental health state and I had to be taken into a mental health institution in Mexico. So it wasn't, it wasn't your nice mental health institution, like a, a nice hospital with things. It was, it was out of, like, the 50s or or. 30s uh, style, you know, kind of like nurse ratchet kind of thing, but really detrimental. And I remember I I thought to myself at that moment, I either either let go like some of the people here and just let my mind go, or I take responsibility of my life. And I chose the late later end. A lot of things have happened now. I get to know you. I get to talk to you and to so many wonderful people and so many beautiful friends that I've never thought that I would be here. And that's one of the things that I love about your message. I love how you've been through so much and yet you don't know what's to come, but you can only hope for the best. I love that you give people the hope that things can be better and will be better if you take responsibility of your life and decide to do what you can to make things happen, you know. I love that about you. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing that story. I really appreciate that. And I hope that you do that in more of your um, things because you're, I think the things that you survived and the things that you currently survive are so inspirational and so incredible. You give permission for people to exist because of your existence. Um, I didn't know that about you. 
I actually am surprised I didn't know that about you. And I'm really grateful um, that I, I got to know that about you. Thank you. Thank you. And we want to welcome you all who are here again. Um, this is the CARE Celebration. Our uh, invited guest is Rain Dove, who is a wonderful person with an inspiring message. This is going to be a series of Instagram Lives who then are going to be available on Spotify and Pocket Cast and other platforms. So be sure to follow the CARE Celebration on whatever platform you use. And let's continue. Now, Rain, what do you think are the qualities one must have to become more accepting, compassionate, and happy? <laughs> Those are three very different things. Um, but I would say, first of all, someone has to want. They have to want to care. You can't force someone to care. In fact, the more you try to force someone to feel something, the farther they'll feel away from it, just as a survival instinct. Because at the end of the day, we're more afraid of being out of control than we are sometimes in, in um, relinquishing and allowing ourselves to, to learn. Um, I think someone has to want to love. They have to want to try somewhere deep in their heart. They have to, they have, there has to be that facet. Number two, some people ask like, how can I as a person be more compassionate? And I'm like, that question is compassion. It's enough. Yes. I highly recommend to people to try listening twice as much as they speak. I talk a lot. I talk all the time. <laughs> but I do try to balance it with listening twice as much as I do speak. Because oftentimes people don't want us to solve their problems for them. Or they don't necessarily want us to do anything about the things that they're experiencing. They just want to be witnessed and they want to be heard. And they don't want to feel like a burden. And they don't want to feel like a problem that has to be fixed. They just want to know that someone knows that they exist, especially someone who maybe isn't necessarily part of their echo chamber. As far as being happy goes, you can't force joy. And to um, anyone who is afraid that they aren't happy, let me tell you something. We have been brainwashed since birth to believe that happiness is the only sign that we are healthy. Happiness is the only sign that we are living a good life. But sometimes I find that the most passionate people are the ones who worry. Because they are driven. They have a purpose and that purpose is to care and it cares so much that it consumes them. But I know people who have lived very long lives because every day they wake up caring deeply about the world and worrying about what will happen next. Now, we shouldn't let one emotion rule our lives. We have to feel a spectrum to feel anything at all. If we were just one note, we wouldn't be emotions. We would just be a being, being, <laughs> and it wouldn't necessarily be very fun. I think that it's, I think that you can't be happy until you're okay being angry. Yes. You know? Absolutely. I, I love this thing about mindfulness that you don't deny your emotions and when they come to you, you just observe them and let them pass. Mm -hmm. But in meditation or this type of meditation, you don't have to deny the existence of your emotions. Mm -hmm. You have to realize that they're there and just feel them, allow them to exist within you and just let them go. And I think that's a beautiful thing that sometimes it's denied to us by society. Like you say, you are either happy or you're either sad, or you're, you're either angry or you can't be angry or you can't cry. Uh, you know, so many things that we are supposed to do uh, or supposed to feel and we really do not allow ourselves to live within the full spectrum of what life is and what emotions are. So I think that's very beautiful that you said, you said it that way. Thank you so much, Rain. Mm -hmm. What do you think is your superpower? 
my superpower oh wow um well i suppose everyone does have a superpower um i think i have two superpowers i think one is um i have the superpower to survive there's a lot of reasons i shouldn't be alive and i am and i believe that that is a superpower because i definitely don't believe that all beings would have chosen to be here um, had they walked the same path. And I chose to be here and I'm grateful I chose to be here um, despite uh, the path that I've been on. The second superhero power is um, I, I'm spread very thin as a person. I'm not able to connect with people on a deep level like um people typically do when you have a good friend you can talk to them every single day 10 minutes or an hour a day and check in with them but i've got like a million literally a million people and it's, it's really difficult because there's thousands of messages a day and things like that and i i love connecting with people um so it's difficult but the one thing i can do is that when i am talking to somebody even if in our lives, it is the only moment we ever connect. I can be here right now with you very much right now, as if we're the only two people in the world. And I think that being able to be now with people is a lot of the reason why some of my work with um, uh, communicating with people who are oppositional to us or um, the conflict resolution dialogue, why it's successful is because I'm able to be very now and not calculative, just allowing space. Um, I don't know, I'm pretty proud of that superpower. Yes, I testify of that. I think that's a wonderful superpower. Is you know, it happens to me a lot that I'm I have a lot of time, but sometimes when I'm talking to someone, my mind is not there. I'm thinking about so many million things that I have to do, the laundry, the podcast now, whatever, my daughter, what is she doing? And I get the mom <laughs> guilt that whenever I'm not with my kid, I'm always thinking, what's my kid doing? <laughs> I'm wondering if she's behaving right or not. And maybe you're thinking of your puppy and whatnot. So I think that's a great superpower to have, and I think people need that a lot more because we need to be in a space that allows to be in the now without setting limits to ourselves regarding time and the things that we always need to do. I love that you can be just in the now. I appreciate that. It's very meditative. It's very meditative. Is that how you say it? Yeah, meditative. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. It gets me in trouble sometimes because we're very, we're, we're, um, I, I think we're a world which is very much worried about the future and we use the past to determine how worried about the future we should be. We're not very much of a now generation. Um, but I do believe uh, that will change, you know, as people um, start to realize that our existence should be on a spectrum of including all of our perspectives and not just a singular lens, you know. Yes, absolutely. And when do you feel the happiest, right? When do I feel the happiest? Yes. Ah, uh, um, there's a few times, I suppose. Whenever there's a fire, a fire oh, that, yeah. of course, is not burning someone's house down, but I'm talking about <laughs> when there's like a bonfire or something. I, there's something about sitting around a fire in the woods. Whenever things are really stressful, I run to the forest and I light a fire. Um, I should say before the pandemic, I used to do that quite a bit. I had a go bag and it was really common. I'd go probably twice, three times a month if things are really stressful and I'd just sit around the fire in the forest. Um, I think also, I love it when someone is just 
in their passion in their in their element it makes me really happy even if i don't agree with them I, sometimes just seeing people fighting for something for with all their worth for some reason it just raises my heart <laughs> so much because it reminds me of purpose and in, in humanity which is quite wonderful um and when i'm cooking i feel very happy um food is a luxury for me and when i was homeless i didn't get to cook a lot so a lot of the times that i had food i really had to figure out how to make things and while i was transient for a period of time i had an electric skillet and i would i bought it at the thrift store and i would like <laughs> plug it into like i go to like a bathroom in a public area and i plug it in and i cook my food really fast within like two or three minutes and like you know get like things from the dollar store and cook it there and the idea of of being able to control what you eat instead of like picking things up, you know, getting leftovers from people or eating just cold sandwiches and snacks and stuff like that. Um, it was a luxury. So now when I cook, it's for me, it's like, I know for some people it's just like feeding themselves, but for me, it's, I, it reminds me every single time. And I, I cook every day, me and my poor partner, and um, we have somebody that we're housing right now, um, just temporarily. And um, I've just been like feeding them three times a day because for me, <laughs> the choice to be able to choose what to eat and to be able to um, make food for somebody and and to be able to spice it how I want to and, and the fact that it, it, you can the sizzle of a pan these are all things I didn't have for a long time and so to this like you know 10, 10 years later and I still just feel this like it just reminds me that I'm okay you know not that I wasn't okay when I was homeless because I, I was okay to an extent but there's a luxury to being able to heat up your food. That makes me yes. very happy, you know. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. What do you think it's your specialty? Or what is your specialty? <laughs> What's my specialty? Well, it depends on the person. I think one of the things I'm very good at is I, I like to figure out what people, um, I like to ask people what their, you know, what their palate is like and what they like to eat. And then I try my best to make something that's within that realm because everyone's different. Um, but I especially love comfort foods. Um, I mashed potatoes are things that I just mashed potatoes make yes. me feel like a fucking star. You know, they're not <laughs> the fanciest thing that you can make, but there's something about them like when I'm feeling sad or down, I just make a giant bowl of mashed potatoes because they they just they they just hug you from the inside. Yes. It just make you so happy, you know? Um, do you put or, gravy on them? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, the cool thing about gra all gravy here in um, the UK pretty much is all the um, pre-made gravy is vegetarian and also like all of the gravy you can make from scratch, like the mushroom gravies and stuff are very easy to make vegetarian, which is cool. Um, yeah, but I definitely put that in, but yeah, yeah, for sure. Or like uh, lasagna, like uh, I will take five hours and I will make a lasagna. And I'm not Italian by any means, so, you know, I'm not trying to appropriate a culture here. But, yeah, it's a good lasagna. <laughs> I, I love uh, vegetarian lasagna the most, to be honest. I really And uh, my boyfriend makes the really good um, vegan chili. That was mm -hmm. like... Oh, yes, yeah, oh, spicy. <laughs> Oh man, it's so Spice, good. Oil, salt. Oh, yes. What cuisine do you feel like? Um, do you feel more comfortable cooking? What cuisine? What type of cuisine? Um. Yeah. Definitely. Like American comfort food. Like that's my. That's like my happy space. Anything that has rosemary, thyme, basil. I use uh, fresh spices are like really important to me. Um, and like uh, I like having a mortar and pestle for almost all my spices. So like I get peppercorns and sea salt flakes, and like I like to grind them. I don't like them coming out of like you know pre-ground. I don't trust it if it's pre-ground. You know. Um, <laughs> And like uh, olive oil, garlic. Um, oh yes. Um, and you know, I know that butter is a controversial one because the process of making butter. But I grew up on a farm where, you know, uh, on a couple of different farms, and we had really beautiful relationships with our animals, where we weren't like ripping babies away from them <laughs> in order to have milk. You know, um, it's just that after they would 
birth a, you know, a, a being, we would just keep that process going. Um, there was a beautiful symbiotic relationship um, that I think my family had with their animals. And um, I just, man, a really good fresh churned butter on anything. Oh, and you know what I just discovered recently? Lemon curd, oh my God. Oh, I love lemon curd. I can't, I didn't know it existed. <laughs> My life has been forever transformed this week by lemon curd. I'm in love with it. And just to finish with the food discussion, just so we don't get too hungry, what's your favorite snack? My favorite snack? Um, I have a lot of favorite snacks. Um, I love dry roasted peanuts, of course. Um, and the, the kind that have like, oh, gosh, in London, they have the best dry roasted peanuts and fresh pistachios in Greece. Oh, gosh, the pistachios in Greece are ridiculous. But my favorite snack is I really like taking rosemary, um, garlic, and uh, uh, black pepper and a little bit of um, like a nando salt like the spicy salt it's like a chipotle salt um and then making fresh popcorn uh and so you like pop the popcorn and then uh, you either take olive oil coconut oil or butter it doesn't matter and you take these spices and you just oh gosh dirty popcorn is like my jam uh, whenever i go to movie theaters it's always ruined for me because i'm like where's the rosemary where's the <laughs> where's the where's the zing you know um, but yeah, dirty popcorn, definitely a favorite, favorite snack. Yes. I make popcorn every day. I really have to give you, give you a popcorn maker. <laughs> Maybe for your birthday. <laughs> so talking about eating, um, you know, sometimes the beauty community puts a really, a lot of pressure on fat bodies, bigger bodies, and how do you feel about current beauty standards? Well, I think that beauty standards have gone out the door um, and the, in the capitalistic industry, but in the interpersonal industry, in the interpersonal relationship world, I think that we have a lot of work to do. While on our billboards and in certain boardrooms, we're seeing more diversity and especially like body diversity driven campaigns. Um, the interpersonal relationships people are having with each other aren't necessarily reflecting these like ads that they're seeing in the world or even, um, you know, storylines that we're seeing on television. Um, I find that like dating websites especially are incredibly fatphobic and ableist and um, even yes. sexist in lots of ways and, you know, it's all the things, but especially fatphobic, I would say. Um, Tinder is, is like one of the most fatphobic places you can be. Um, yeah, I just think that we have a lot of work to do. Um, you know, a lot of people's biases that are baked into them just come from the call and response mentality that um, people, when when people look at like who they who they want to be with or who they should be with, they don't just look at their own personal like sexual drive. They also look at um, the call and response of the community around them. And there's this kind of brainwashing that happens at a very young age that if you date somebody who is different, and especially if you date someone who is fat, that you're going to be questioned and that you're going to have to answer those questions. And so, you know, there's, um, there's a lot of people who are brainwashed into thinking that like, um, you dating someone who's fat is you giving up on the possibility of having something else um, that's you settling um, and I think that's a really toxic mentality um, as a person who's dated several people who um, are fat and fat identifying like I have to say you know I think that my partner's got more guff for being fat than I've ever gotten for being queer and being with them was I just feel really bad because I had the best sex in my life. I, had, I mean, I had great sex now, but I mean, I had great sex. <laughs> I had a great time. Um, our relationship didn't work out for other personal reasons, but it wasn't because of their bodies. But it was hard because people always treated me like I was doing something charitable. Like I was doing something 
like yes. sweet and Cinderella-esque. And I'm not a victim in any way um, for having to constantly defend my choice. I can understand how a lot of people are afraid of having to constantly defend their choice every single day. And we need to like really work hard to dismantle the questioning of people's, um, you know, love and lust in their life. And we also need to dismantle this very new toxic ideology that skinny bodies are better bodies because actually the idea that skinny people are sexually attractive is a very fucking new thing. I mean, within the past like hundred years or so, um, it, like, you know, almost like the most sexually um, appealing bodies used to be much curvier and much thicker um, because having any kind of voluptuous element to oneself and or having any fat on one's body was deemed a, a status thing. It was deemed a self-care thing. In fact, it was like, wow, you feed yourself, you take care of yourself. Um, and the skinnier you were, the more you were deemed to be likely poor or, or sick or, or whatnot. Um, I just don't get it. Like sometimes I'm just like, how did we get to this point? Like um, I think, you know, queerness and, and, and being a woman and being, or being trans or being disabled, these are things that have been shunned for thousands of years, since the beginning of humanity. But fat was worshiped at the dawn of humanity. And up until just like moderately recently, what happened? How did we lose yes. track so far? Like, I just, I honestly think that fat phobia, I, like I think all biases are wrong in my opinion, but you know, when it comes to body related things and, and such, but especially fat phobia, I'm like that, that one, I just, I'm like, that is just such like a, what? <laughs> you know yes. what I mean? That is so weird. Yes. Why? Yeah, I don't get it either. Um, I, I am flabbergasted sometimes. Like you said, some, sometimes people look at me and, and they're like, oh, but your health, blah, 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 blah. And I'm always like, thank you so much for being concerned about my physical health. However, I need to care about my mental health first. Second, you wouldn't be telling this to someone who is skinny. You wouldn't be worried about their health if someone was skinnier. So that is the part that upsets me the most. Like, why is people not minding their own business? Why are people not minding their own business? And, yeah, and it's usually the freedom of speech people who are like, we should be free to live our own lives and we should be free, freedom, freedom of expression. And it's like, yeah. So freedom, exactly. the freedom of expression <laughs> is, it should be the freedom for us to express whatever body we want to live in. If someone says, I'd like to change myself for myself, we should be there to support that journey. Whether somebody wants to gain weight, lose weight, or you know, be wherever they want to be. But the problem is many people make these decisions based off of the idea that they are trading their body for love and not in like a sexual way. I mean, people will compromise who they are because they feel that if maybe they're another version of themselves, of course, they'll be loved. And so what they do is they trade their weight either up or down for mm -hmm. the ability to be loved because they feel that the weight of love is more than is worth more than the weight of their body. And I think that that's really sad and toxic that we are living, somebody mentioned diet culture, we live in such a culture that's like that, where people just, they crash their bodies down hoping that somebody will lift them up as a result. And it just, it's unfortunate. We, treat, we act like people are ants, like everybody is supposed to look exactly the same. But it's so obvious that we can never be that way. And in fact, it's one of the things that makes our species great and wonderful is the fact that we are so di different and uniquely aesthetic. Um, we're never meant to achieve the same frame. And to try to do so is boring and conformist and not individualistic and mindless. And once again, boring. We can do better. And if somebody does choose, choose, not not like anything other than choose, but if someone does choose to be in any particular form of their body with tattoos, with surgery, with weight, with expression, that is their choice. 
That is a part of our freedom of journey. That is a part of our path. And some people may end up making like a choice that they don't like later on, but that is theirs to make, to criticize, to comment on it. It's not yours to do. You're not here to rescue them from themselves. If they ask for help, of course, you must listen. But of course, if somebody says, I'm going to make this choice, we have to let people be. And I think one of the hard things is that people, one of the hard things is like, people treat fat people and trans people very similarly. They treat them like if they had a different choice, they would take it. Yes. You know, and, and they treat, I, I see a lot of times, and tell me if I'm wrong, because I'm obviously coming from my perspective, and I'm, this is just as a person who's listened in a lot, but I see a lot of people treat fat people like they're victims of their own bodies. And people come yes. to a lot of, to fat people with a lot of saviorism in their mind, as if like, you just need the right person to tell you that you could be something better. And, and that kind of like toxicity Anyway, I'm tangenting on some, on this, yeah. but I just it doesn't it doesn't infuriate me a lot, and it's not really my it's not it is all of our battle to fight together, but it's obviously it's not it's not my flag to wave. Um, but as a person who's here to support, I'm just like I I I just don't I, I just yeah this, no you're you're absolutely right you know. Several years ago, um, when I was around 21 years old, I was just so tired of being treated like I'm always sick, like I have a disease or something. Because mm -hmm. people see you as that. People see you like you have a disease that's like lepra or leprosy or something like that. Nothing. Like I have nothing wrong with people that have it, but they just treat you so badly, like. So anyways, I decided that I should go through a, uh, a stomach surgery to lose weight. Mm -hmm. And the doctors, the, see, the thing is, the doctors sold me on the idea that I would never again gain weight and that I would be a new self and that I would be so much more healthier and that I would be just like the perfect person. So I was like, okay, if the doctor says so, I, I, I might trust them. And I went through the whole process and they... I still have a scar, uh, and you can see some of my pictures. Um, I still have a big scar on my tummy uh, from when they cut me open, and it was scary. I had to be in the hospital for over a week. Thankfully, I didn't have sepsis or an infection or anything, and I was throwing up uh, black goo for three days, and I couldn't eat for two weeks. So, of course, I lost weight, and then... It didn't solve my problems. I still had to go through um, taking antidepressants and taking medication, and I gained the weight back right away because of my medication because I had a mental breakdown right afterwards. And, you know, it's just sad how people keep telling fat people that if they lose weight, all their problems are going to be solved, which is not true. I mean, I, I love the people I support the people who go on uh, weight loss journeys I think it's amazing um, but if they don't take care of their mind and their spirit it's not going to do anything mm -hmm. like they can have a different body yes maybe they won't be treated as shitty yes maybe they won't be treated like they have some sort of disease that is true but they can still feel like crap in their minds. That is true also. So the more you work on yourself first and the more you work on your mind first, the better your journey will be whatever you want to do. Wow. I, I think that's my point of view. Yes, it's definitely, I love you so much too, Rain. And we're heading towards... I, I just want, I have one last question for you. Yeah, of course. It's a, it's a funny question. What is your <laughs> it's a hard girl? swear. Wow. Hold on, wait. That was just a <laughs> lot. Wow. Can we just take a moment and just, wow. You yes. are so incredible. Thank You're you. You're so incredible. I'm very lucky to be your friend. 
Thank you so much for being here, Rain. I appreciate it. And Conrad's going to come say hi in a minute, just after. <laughs> I know he's here, too, and we, we can take a few, a few questions. If you have a question for Rain or for me, uh, you can send it on the question mark um, little thingy. It's like a globe. <laughs> <laughs> so you can send your question there. Are you crying? Yes. Sorry. No need to be sorry. Thank uh, you. Thank you so yeah. much for your tears. They mean a lot. I think sometimes we just, it's not as easy to open up and feel what others are feeling and you're allowing yourself to feel and to be there for all of us and to be there for me. And <laughs> thank you so much. I appreciate it. I know it's so late over there and you still took the time to be here. That means the world to me. Thank you so much. Always. I love you. <laughs> What's your ideal world, Rain? My ideal world? It's yes. really simple. My ideal world is a world in which we wake up and everybody has food, shelter, water, physical safety, and freedom of movement. I don't need everyone to have the same God, gods or atheism or whatever it is. I don't need a world with borders. I don't need a world with money. I don't need a world with nine to fives. And I don't need a world in which language even exists. I just want a world in which people have food, shelter, water, physical safety, and freedom of movement. Everything else is just gravy. It's part of the human experience to explore, to debate to feel like we're fighting for something against something against ourselves and each other. Sometimes it's just a part of our existence is to validate it through discussion and exploration, not through oppression, of course, but I do think that a healthy debate and exploration is a big part of our purpose on this planet is to expand food, shelter, water, physical safety, and freedom of movement. I believe that if all people had it, yeah, we'd be much farther as people. I believe that if all people had it, we would have had the cure to cancer by now. I do. I believe that we would be in a space in which we would have a lot more than that cured and figured out in the world. But we disenfranchise people who possibly have solutions to the world's most complex problems simply by not feeding them and not giving them a stable place to sleep by telling them that at any second their life can end. And we do that. We tell them that simply by ignoring them. And I think that one day and someday soon, because the world is changing rapidly and advancing very rapidly with these technologies, I do believe that day is coming in which we won't have to worry about food, shelter, or water. And hopefully, physical safety and freedom of movement will become a rapid addition to those three things. Thank you so much, Ray. You're absolutely right. Let's answer some questions. This is one heaven killed nine, and they are asking, being fat myself, what is your advice for people like me to keep on going? Well, Adanya, I think you should give that advice. Yes. Uh, oops, sorry. I think the most important thing to keep on going is to believe in yourself and it doesn't matter what type of spaceship your body is let's call it a spaceship it doesn't matter what form it has or what shape it has or how or how heavy it is it's a spaceship and it's beautiful and it serves to transport you here in this realm so Love it and take care of it as much as you can, but start within. Start realizing that you're worth it and you're worth something because you exist. And just give yourself a chance to be loved by yourself. Yeah. That's how you keep going. Thank you for that question. I am Nikki. What can I when can I talk 
with you about my life to you, Rango? <laughs> well, I am on this thing called Veniware. You can call me anytime on Veniware, V-A-N-Y-W-H-E-R-E. But every day I spend the first hour of my day and the last hour of my day. Technically, I spend the hour before this. <laughs> so I think that's not the last, but one of the last hours of my day. Um, answering DMs and private messages. I get hundreds a day, sometimes thousands, depending on if I did a post. So if I didn't get to you, just please keep trying. I will get back to you. Um, it just sometimes takes a moment um, because, you know, whenever I am communicating with someone, I, I give them everything just in case it's our only time we get to talk for a while. Um, please message me. And then if I don't answer within 72 hours, nudge me. And then if I don't answer within 72 hours, nudge me. It will keep bumping you to the top of my inbox. Um, Adanya knows. Sometimes you have to nudge me <laughs> many times. But I will respond. Yes, thank you. And just like he said, um, just like Rain said, Vaniware, I'll type it there. You can call you me can reach them there. I'll pick up and we'll talk like this, face-to-face, -face, video chat, phone chat, and whatnot. Um, it is a paid service, but all that money goes towards housing LGBTQ um, homeless individuals. Um, so uh, LGBTQIA homeless individuals. Um, so we've been able to um, house a few people every month just from me doing that service. But if you don't have the funds to do it, don't worry. Just keep hitting me up. I promise I will get back to you. I might even send you a video note or a voice message. All right, Ms. Zavances. What would you say your biggest challenge is in expanding queer voices and messages? Ooh. Okay. Um, there's a couple of challenges. One of the biggest challenges is that while we are one acronym, LGBTQIA and, and more, um, we are not one community. We come together on pride and yet we segment ourselves into these groups and ideologies and individuals. We have been through such a test to, tru to truly prove that we are who we are, that we give a purity test to each other, and there's a lot of infighting in the community. So I would say that one of our greatest obstacles is each other within our community. We're not unified as we once were because we are constantly looking at each other with these suspicious eyes. Can you possibly be my ally? And I think we can be more scrutinous of the people who are closer and adjacent to us in identity than we are our opposition, which is one of our, um, one of our greatest weaknesses, I think. We give each other a purity test because we feel like you should know. And we are really tough on each other when we think that there may be any possibility that someone may have um, any, like I said, any sense of hierarchy or, or or um, level of value, instead of just assuming that everyone has the same value in their community. I think what we need in our community is kind of a pledge or a credo to each other, something that everyone says, that everyone agrees to, a standard of acceptance and living that we all live by, like a pledge of allegiance, but not so weird and cultish and capitalistic, just kind of the right to live that we all can agree on. And I think that would help unite us if, is if we had one pledge to each other. Um, the second thing I think is our biggest obstacle is the fact that people are afraid. Because when they have to admit that the system of oppression that they once had for us is wrong, they feel that they have to bear the burden of all the people who have been disenfranchised by the wrongs done by their ancestors. And a lot of people don't know if they can afford to pay the price for what has been taken away from the community. We need to let them know that that debt can never really truly be repaid. But at the same time, for anyone who's willing to do the work to make the world a better place, we'll do the work for them too, to make sure that they have a place at this table equally and safely. We need to let people know that we don't want to be in power, we want to empower, and if that sometimes means that sometimes we're in, we're in positions of power, it's fine. But we need to let people know, especially people who are on the cusp of becoming our allies, we need to let them know that they're part of our plan. We need to tell them that they have a space here at the table, that there's food for them, that we love them, and that there is a possibility for them to be loved and rejoiced and remembered for the life that they lived. A lot of people are afraid that if they give up their position of power or overpowered 
um, overpowering kind of presence that they have as an oppressor. They, they are worried that they will be erased and forgotten. And I think that many people, that is their greatest fear, is that this life that they've lived will not be remembered. And if we tell them that there will still be a place of power for them, it will just be of not lesser power, but of equal power. I think that would really help our case a lot. But a lot of us don't want to say that to people who have hurt us so deeply because we feel that they don't deserve it. But everyone deserves to be equal. Everyone deserves to be equal. Because if everyone truly was equal, there would be no hierarchical oppressive force. If you can keep that in your mind as a person, especially a marginalized individual, and say to somebody when they try to like come at you, you say, you deserve to be equal to me. Well, especially if you're a marginalized person, you're not telling them that they deserve to be lesser. You're just saying they shouldn't be where they're at. I think that's a very fair and powerful statement to say. Yes, absolutely. There's a, another question by Absentius. What is the most important thing to keep in mind while you're in a relationship? <laughs> don't you tell them that you don't feel that way. <laughs> no. Um, you know, the and you have a class thing. coming about cheating, right? Yes, is it I still do. coming? I'm going to be teaching a class with a person who I dated for three years and I cheated on her four times. Um, and we're teaching a class about cheating uh, from the perspective of me, a person who's cheated, and them. The person who's been cheated on, we're going to talk about all the different things that happened in that relationship and break down how to recognize if someone's cheating and also if somebody is cheating, how to recognize yourself. And and to rec sometimes people cheat as well because they're in abusive dynamics. So how to recognize if you're being abused, um, how to recognize if you're maybe poly and you can't voice it because there's um, maybe a lot of bias. Sometimes people are bisexual, but they are stuck in a heteronormative situation, so they cheat because they feel like they can't express their queerness. So people cheat for all kinds of reasons, and so our class kind of dives into that. Um, one of the other things I would say about being in a relationship, the most important thing is just remember, I would say the most important thing is that everything is a choice. Love cannot exist unless it is a choice. And you must be chosen, not forever, but for now, and now, and now, and now, and now, and now. If love is not a choice, then love does not exist. And so therefore, everything that you do in that relationship, it must be honest, because without honesty, you don't have choice anymore. And it's hard to be honest with people that you love because you're afraid that they'll leave you for the truth. But somebody who truly loves you, they won't leave you. And if they do leave you, it's okay. Because you do not want love that was stolen. You want it that was chosen, because otherwise you'll always know that it isn't true. And that just sucks. Yes. Well, Rain, we are reaching the end of our program today. Mm -hmm. I am so thankful. Uh, thank, thank you to everyone who participated, and thank you for answering the questions from the public. And do you have any final words you want to close down your argument with? <laughs> I'm not arguing. <laughs> I mean, I just want to say thank you for having me. I feel very honored that I get to be the first person on this uh, uh, podcast series that you're doing, this show series that you're doing. Um, and uh, if anyone out there is feeling especially unsure of their right to exist, I just want to let you know. You are here and it's enough. Sometimes the purpose is simply to breathe. In itself, a breath is a miracle. It is something that shouldn't exist. Throughout the universe, there are so many planets and spaces that are dead and empty and not breathing. I wouldn't even say they're dead, they're vast and void of anything that could even have been life that was taken from it. They never had life in the first place. Breathing's enough. It's a protest. Every time that you breathe, in a world in which so many people don't want you to, it's a giant fuck you to them. 
It's a big, not just heart pump and lung pump. It's a fist pump into the air that says, I'm going to keep fucking being here. I think breathing is, like I said, it's a protest. And it's, it's a worthy protest. So hang on to it, for sure. Beautifully said. Thank you so much. Well, it was a great evening with you, Rain. Thank you so much for all your knowledge, for all your calmness, for being present in the moment. And thank you for always being there for people and for all the work that you do. It is wonderful and it's not going uh, to trash. We can see you and we love you and we, and we adore you. <laughs> I love you very much. Don't miss next episode we're gonna be talking to a wonderful fat queer activist from argentina um the next well you can tune in every second saturday of the month for the english version and we also have a spanish version because we need it so much for latin american speakers and uh hispanic speakers or spanish speakers so I'm going to be doing the same thing with different guests in English and Spanish. So next show in Spanish, I'm going to be having my Reiki teacher, Celeste Laviani. And next English cast is going to be Beltran. He is also an amazing activist who is queer and who is bad as well. And please tune in on the second Saturday of May at 6 p.m. MTS. And I love you all so much. Thank you so much, Rando. And we'll see you again. <laughs>